Hi, my name's Dylan, and you're listening to A Couple of Murders, a podcast where I tell you and my fiancé about a couple of murders. Okay, so let's get serial. Thanks for tuning in. My name's Dylan. And I'm Nicole. And today, I guess, we'll just be talking about one murderer in specific. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, well, let's get this going. So I remember when we were watching Mindhunter for the first time, you know, off recommendation from, I can't remember who, and I think it was in the first couple of episodes, we just saw somebody shoot themselves in the head with a shotgun. I think that kind of put us both off of it, but I decided, why not watch it a little bit more? And we did, and we came across one of the... uh, No, I think it put me more onto it. Like, I wanted to watch it more after that. Okay, that's kind of interesting, but I mean, if that's the type of TV you like, that's the TV you like. <laughs> anyway, well, while we were watching it, I remember them talking to that one serial killer in the show. His name was Edmund Kemper, and uh, little did I know he was a real person, which kind of shocked me. Which kind of shocked me a little bit, but anyway, I did some research, and I kind of want to tell you a little bit about him, some of the stuff he did, and maybe we can discuss a little things about him. So, if you're ready, I'd like to begin. So. We're going back, back in time, circa 1948 in Burbank, California. Little Ed, Edmund Kemper was born. He was born the middle child to two sisters, um, which, I mean, with our background, it was kind of made me think like, okay, good. I know he's a serial killer. He's got an eldest, uh, elder sister and a younger sister. Who does that think? Who does that make me think of? Alfred Adler. You remember him? But just that alone will do it to you. An older and a younger sister when you're a boy. Yeah, facts. Like, I I have all brothers, but I feel like adding a sister in the mix might be a little scary. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, weird childhood. Uh, His parents divorced in 1957 when Ed was nine. Um, He then wanted to move in with his dad, but he didn't. He moved with his mother and his two sisters to Montana. Absolutely no idea where that is. Um, his mother, though, was an alcoholic and had very different, and he had a very difficult relationship with her. Uh, she seemed to like blame him a lot for all her troubles. She was also very critical of him. What do you mean? Uh, like, I mean, I didn't really go into specifics, but she she kind of portrayed this image of she wants people to look up to her. There'll be a nice tie back later. So a year after, at the age of 10, um, Edward was forced to live in the basement by his mother. Very weird. Um, In the basement, away from his sisters, because his mother was uh, scared that he would harm them. Oh, goodness. I feel like at that point, ship him away to the dad or to like boarding school kind of saves the kid a little bit. But anyway. Is that foreshadowing? No. Oh, okay. Um, Nice. Uh, Edward, though, he showed signs of trouble at a young age because um, he had these fantasies and dreams in which he would, like, trouble or kill his mother. Yeah, so anyway, he also would decapitate his sister's dolls. That uh, He would play a game with his sisters and he would call it Gas Chamber, apparently, where, yeah, where he had them blindfold him. So they blindfolded him. Edward was blindfolded. Then he had them lead him to a chair where he pretended to thrash and flail until he died. Can we just break that down psychologically? What the fuck? <laughs> you can't. So can you repeat it? Cause I okay, so forget. he... I'll be Ed. You be the sisters. Right now? Yeah. Okay. What's up, sis? I'm going to put a blindfold on. Scratch that. You're going to put a blindfold on me. 
and then walk me over to that chair and then we'll see what happens what what am i doing to him in the chair what nothing you put himself? me in a chair that's it and then he would act as if he was in a gas chamber and thrash and flail and then oh. die but oh. not really so yeah what the fuck? um edward really wasn't doing well then up until that time i mean he had very odd signs as a kid like those are real troubling and yeah, uh that'll do it to you edward's first victims uh were the two family cats the first of which uh he buried alive and the second when he was 13 he slaughtered with a knife yeah, that's like the number one sign that he's probably going to kill like people. Oh, I just thought he was a dog person. Anyway, <laughs> after those, after the killing of the cats, the mother was like, okay, the decapitated dolls, the fantasies and the gas chamber was yeah, a little bit weird. But now that you've killed the cats, this is it. So she sent him away to live with a father, with his father. Uh, but later he ended up back with his mother guess daddy didn't really like him. Yeah, what happened um, I can't tell you. Ask Edward. was still alive. True. The transition of him living with his mother didn't really last long. And then she sent him away to live with his paternal grandparents on their ranch in Norfolk, California. But Ed hated living on the ranch with his grandparents. Um, and before leaving to Norfolk, though... Uh, he had a large interest in guns and firearms. But then once he got onto the ranch, his grandparents took, obviously took his rifle away from him because that's something you do. But they only took it away after he'd killed a bunch of small animals and birds. Oh so goodness. they gave him a chance. Like, you can have your gun. Just don't be stupid. And he was stupid. Fair. Yeah. But then on August 27th of 1964, when Kemper was 15 year old, he turned his burning rage on his grandparents. Oh no, you're not going to tell me. Yeah. So the 15 year old then proceeded to shoot his grandmother in the kitchen, shot and killed his grandmother into the kitchen after they had a little argument. Keep that in mind of an argument with a female, with like an adult female figure. And then later that day, when the grandfather came home, he went out to the car and shot him while he was still in the car and then proceeded to hide the body. Wait, okay, so he shot his grandmother? In the kitchen after having an argument. And then? D then when the grandfather came home later that day, he went out to the car, like in the driveway and shot the grandfather while he was still in the car dead. And then he took the body out and hid it. What is he doing in between the time that he killed his grandmother? And is waiting for his grandfather to come home. 1967. I don't think he was playing Xbox. He might have just been reading Mad Magazine. I don't know why I'm thinking of that, but... Anyway. So, oddly enough, um, he then, after that, called his mother to ask for advice and to tell her what he did. Oh, he told her? So, he called his mother, confessed to, confessed to her, and she told him to call the police. So, he then proceeded to do that, and he told them that... He shot his grandparents and when they asked him why, he said that he shot his grandmother to see what it feels like, but then he proceeded to shoot his grandfather so that he wouldn't have to know his wife was murdered. Oh, he hates women. He has to, right? I mean, with having like a controlling mother, you would assume he would have some pent-up aggression towards that but it's odd that he felt no sympathy for killing his grandmother but then he felt a lot of sympathy towards his grandfather because yeah. he didn't want him to hurt anyway 
He was then handed over to the California Youth Authority, where he underwent testing, which determined that he had a very high IQ. I think it was above 140, maybe I think 145. Don't quote me on that. But he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. After that diagnosis, he was then sent to Atascadero State Hospital, which is a maximum security facility for mentally ill convicts. In 1969, on his, when he was 21, he was oh, then wait, released. I, sorry, I have a question, not to cut you off. How old was he when he made when he killed his grandparents? 15. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he spent sorry, six years in this um, maximum security facility when he was released at the age of 21. Despite his doctor's recommendations that he should not live with his mother due to her past abuse and his psychological issues involving her, he still decided to rejoin her in Santa Cruz, California, where she moved after ending her third marriage to take a job at the University of California. Keep that in mind, she now works at the University of California. Um, Kemper then attended community college for a little bit, worked a multitude of jobs before finally finding employment at the Department of Transport in 1971. So at this point, he's like 24, he's tried school, he's tried random jobs here and there, but cool, now he's got a job at the, the Department of Transportation. Kemper then wanted to pursue other things, and oddly enough, he wanted to become a state trooper, so he applied. Okay, he was rejected from the state trooper position because he's six foot nine and 300 pounds. And this stature gave him the nickname Big Ed. I'm going to look up a picture of him right now. Don't do this if you're driving. Uh, Holy shit, he's huge. Yeah, I told you. I don't want to come into like contact with someone like this. He's six foot nine, 300 pounds. Like I'm six four. Like I consider myself tall, but six nine is a whole different whole different game and i mean if you look at the photos of him he doesn't look like he would hurt a fly thin frame black glasses a little comb a little bit of mustache looks like the like a gentle giant anyway um even after he was rejected from his position rejected as a state trooper he did hang around some of the santa cruz police officers uh became pretty good friends with them they became pretty tight they would banter around and whatnot one of them oddly enough um gave him a training school badge and handcuffs and another borrowed him a gun i don't know why you feel borrowing a gun is okay especially to him well they don't know oh they i guess why would you know unless they pull just, his stuff that you he killed know. his grandparents how do people not know that that's crazy that's how crazy the world is the cool, person so who sits next to you at work could have been could have killed people in the past so yes. do we give him a badge like a sash no, I mean, I wouldn't want people to know that about me if I did that. Especially if you're trying to return to society. Absolutely. But still, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. But the same year that he began working for the Department of Transport, he was actually hit by a car, ironically enough, and badly injured his arm. He got a $15,000 settlement in the civil suit. Uh, but because he was unable to work, he turned his attention to other pursuits. Bom, bom, bom. With the settlement money, he purchased a car and began storing tools that he might need to fulfill his murderous desires in the trunk. And these tools included a gun, a knife, and handcuffs, two of which he could have just borrowed from the police for an extended period of time. But anyway, he began storing the tools when he noticed a large number of young women hiking in the area. So he saw that and he was like, cool, I need to prepare myself for when I want to enact these fantasies. 
we'll get to one of his first mur- one of his first non-grandparent and cat murders, which was um, where he picked up female hitchhikers and then let them go. However, when he offered a ride to two students at Fresno State, being Mary Ann Pesk and Anne Lucessa, they never made it to their destination. Oh, so maybe that's his like second group murder type thing. Yeah, it'd be like his next like double group. double hitter murder. Double hitter, great um, sports. The families, uh, the families of the victims reported them missing, but unfortunately, they never heard anything up until August fifteenth of that year, when a severed female head was found near Santa Cruz, and was later identified to belong to Marianne. Um. Anita, her remains were never actually found. Kemper would later then explain how he strangled and stabbed Marianne before stabbing Anita as well. After the murders, he would then bring the bodies back to his apartment and remove their hands and head. Kemper also allegedly engaged in sexual activity with the corpses. Wait, you just laid that the fuck on me. Allegedly. So he would cut off their heads and their hands, I would assume, to hide their identities. That's that's like his trademark. Like, Holy he would shit. kill people and then, like, cut off their heads and their hands, as you'll see later. Okay. Okay? But yes, allegedly engaged in sexual activity with their corpses. Gross. So then on September 14th of 1972, a dance class student named Aiko Ku decided to hitchhike home rather than wait for the bus. As we all know... Just, just wait for the bus. But I guess back then, 1972... Different time. Different time. Completely different time. Wasn't there, but I heard about it. <sighs> I read about it in a book. But Aiko would actually meet the same fate as Marianne and Anita. She never made it home. In January 1973, Kemper picked up the hitchhiker Cindy Shaw, whom he shot and killed. He then waited for his mother to leave the house so that he could hide Shaw's body in his room. And then the following day, he would dismember her body and throw it into the ocean. But oddly enough, he buried the head in his mother's backyard. Souvenir. Maybe. Maybe. Just maybe. On February 9th, 1973... Wait, he didn't keep any of the other heads, though. No, it wasn't said. Well, they found the one. Yeah. All right. Well, on February 9th, 1973, he then used a campus parking sticker, which he got from his mother. Remember, she works at the University of California. He got a campus parking sticker and then used it to commit another double murder. So he drove to the university and then offered a ride to two students, being Rosalind Thorpe and Alice Liu. Okay. After picking them up, he then shot the young woman drove past the campus security with both of them dead or badly wounded, took them to his apartment where he then dismembered the bodies, removed the bullets from their heads, and disposed of the parts in different locations. Damn, he took the bullets? He was really covering all tracks. But then Kemper buried the heads of his victims in the mother's garden, looking up at her bedroom because according to him... She always wanted people to look up to her. That is... Alright. He hates women or he hates his mom? Probably hates his mom. He's and got because mommy of issues. that, yeah. But in March of 1973, so that same year, some of Thorpe and Lou's remains were found by hitchhikers. 
So they knew there were more bodies out there. April 1973, Kemper committed the last of his two murders. On Good Friday, Ed decided to visit his mother's home and they had an argument. And guess what happens next? Kemper then attacked his mother after she went to sleep, first by striking her in the head with a hammer and then slitting her throat with a knife. Oh my god. And just like with his other victims, he decapitated her, removed her hands, and then after that, he then removed her larynx and forced it down the garbage disposal. I guess he really didn't like hearing her speak. That is really intense. You must really hate your mother's voice to do something like that. He then proceeded to hide his mother's body, called his mother's friend, Sally Hallett, and invited her to the house. Where he proceeded to strangle and hide her body in the closet. What the f- So he could have ended it at his mom, but maybe he wanted that last, last piece before he was done. But you said these were the last two. Yeah, these are the last two. So... Kemper then fled. So after he killed uh, Sally, he then fled, driving east to Colorado, where on April 23rd, he called the Santa Cruz police to confess to his crimes. And all of them were like, there's no way Big Ed. There's no way Big Ed did this. But after multiple inter- like interrogations, they took him in. He then went on trial in October, later that exact year, in 1973, and he was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder, but was only found guilty in early November. The judge asked Kemper how he feels he should be sentenced, to which he replied and said, I should be tortured to death. He gets off on it. Remember no. the gas chamber thing? I think maybe he wants to, like, he's like, okay, yeah, I killed my mom. I feel bad. Torture me to death like I tortured everyone else. I guess, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I don't Um, know why my first thought was like, he's into it. (laughs) Instead of being tortured to death, he received eight concurrent life sentences. And is currently still serving his time at California Mental Institute. was a short synopsis of Ed's... uh, doings i have a couple questions well, i don't know if i can answer them but i can try even though i bombarded your whole story with questions wasn't he like good friends with cops yeah because i feel like i read that somewhere no he was he became friends with the santa cruz police after being denied from the state troopers where That's... he got the guns and the way he borrowed the gun the handcuffs he probably didn't get caught because he was so close to them have you ever heard of the serial killer gene yeah I wonder how many serial killers have it. Are you going to look it up? Mm-hmm. Okay. M-A-O-A. Oh, the M-A-O-A gene. Because I'm very, I'm very curious to see like how many serial killers actually have that gene. A gene can like cause that, I feel. But uh, I don't... I feel like he could have just had such a shitty time with his mom. Yeah, that traumatizes anybody. But like, don't you... Aren't you curious to know like what makes a serial killer... A serial killer like what what ticks in them what's similar about all of them can't figure that out mm-hmm. you can get close to it you can make suggestions like oh maybe this is it but like realistically you know i mean even if you're at that point like let's say we found out ed kemper had it like a young age like you do genetic testing on your kid like you yeah. get them tested and you're like shit he has an maoa gene like there's also a chance that he's turns out perfectly normal the kid exactly. could become the next Elton John and just, just play like, the piano all over England. Just like, don't traumatize him. Don't fucking shove him in, 
In a basement. So you test them. Okay, he doesn't have the gene, so I can be rude. Or he does have the gene. No. I'm going to walk on eggshells. We're Good thing to know. Kids. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I'm going to get our kids tested and then treat them accordingly. Sorry, you lost the chance. <laughs> I hope you cut that. I'm not cutting that. So, yeah. that's Sorry, the sto- mom. So, anyway, that's the story of Ed Kemper. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye.